Mark chapter number 8, again in your Bibles this morning, Mark chapter number 8, we continue our series, uh, The Servant Savior, and we continue our work through the Gospel of Mark on Sunday mornings. Let me make turn this on, push that button, move this out of the way, and there we go. Uh, we have entitled this, we've been in Mark for quite some time on Sunday mornings, and we've titled the, the entire series, The Servant Savior. We get that out of Mark chapter number 10. This is our text for the entire series, and I think we find the key verse for the Gospel of Mark, and Mark 10 and 45, Mark 10 and 45, and I had you turn one place and I'm mentioning another, uh, but I just want to remind you of the emphasis of our series, and then we'll go back to Mark chapter 8. For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. There's the key verse for the Gospel of Mark, and it's the key verse for our study, and that's the, the emphasis of the entire study of the Mark and why Mark was written to show us that Jesus Christ, He's God, He's the God-man, He's holy, He's perfect, He's divine, He is deity, but He's also a servant. And we see that as we're moving, our, getting closer towards Easter Sunday when we emphasize the death, the burial and praise the Lord, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We see the servanthood of Christ. And in all of our lives throughout this week, dare say that all of us could say Christ has been serving us. The fact that we have gotten up this morning and been able to be in church is proof positive to Christ's serving. Uh, his love, His provision, His giving, His grace, His forgiveness, His promises, and on and on it could go. And so we see Christ as the servant, and although he's deity, he's serving. And that's what the entire gospel of Mark is all about. We come this morning, and we're following our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ as he's walking upon this earth and doing all the things and all the wonderful things that we've seen him do. Let's read just a couple verses. Uh, Caleb read the entire text 27 through the end of the chapter and 38. We won't get that many verses today, but for the next several Sunday mornings, that's where we'll be probably. But we'll try to work our way through a few of these verses. Let's look at verse number 27 and begin there. And Jesus went out and his disciples unto the towns of Caesarea Philippi. And by the way, he asked his disciples as he was walking. He, was, he began talking and dialoguing with his disciples, and I imagine that they often did this. And as they are on their way, walking those dusty roads, he asked his disciples, saying unto them, Whom do men say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist. But some say, Elias, and others, one of the prophets. And he said unto them, But whom say ye that I am? And Peter answered, answereth, and saith unto him, Thou art the Christ, and he charged them that they should tell no man of him. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, and be killed. And after three days, rise again. 
looking forward already we're looking forward into next week and and we'll look at that particular passage but I want us to back up this morning and I want us to really focus our attention upon two questions that Jesus asks of his disciples one of those questions is out of verse number 27 the other question is out of verse number 29 and the question is this who am I who am I Jesus asks that of these disciples who do men say that I am? And, and he asked that of all of us today. Who is Jesus? Who is this Jesus? Who is he to you? Uh, who is he to the world? You know, life is filled with questions. Isn't it? Is it not true? Uh, all of us, probably some of you came to church this morning and got some questions on your mind. Some questions about tomorrow. Questions about this. All of us have questions. Some questions are really, really important some really not all that important it seems like we get all been out of shape on the ones that are really not so important and we leave the important ones uh, off to the side and we fail to answer them some questions are not very easily answered are they Uh, if we could ask this morning what are some questions we might find that there's some things that you might have on your heart and your mind that that none of us could really come up with a definite answer to that question some of them are just hard to answer a student comes to exam time and he sits down to answer the questions posed by the professor or the teacher Uh, Seth might have a little bit of a uh, at least a fresh knowledge of some of this the exam questions are based upon the material that's been taught in the classroom over the previous semester Some teachers, you've been in college, you've been in school, some teachers are masters at asking questions. Uh, There's only one right answer, but they ask a question in such a way that you start wondering, what do they want me to say? Brother Godfrey, are you one of those professors that do that? Uh, What in the world is he asking me here? I don't remember any of that. The exam questions are supposedly based on the material that's been taught throughout the classroom over that previous semester. The final exam, to fail the final exam is to fail the course. And if you're like me, I remember going to Bible college. I didn't go back to to school and Bible college till I was 32 years of age. And by that time, I was paying for my own Bible college. And to fail means that I had to pay for it again. Uh, I had a, I had a lot of I had a lot of uh, skin in the game, so to speak, and I didn't make sure I didn't want to fail that class. So I, when it came exam time, I wanted to do the best that I could because I honestly didn't want to take the class over. But I, uh, even more so, I didn't want to pay again to do it. Uh, some people uh, seem to excel when it comes to exam time. Uh, these are the kind of people, and if you're one of these. Forgive me, but I don't like you very much because you have these steel trap kind of minds. You hear something that sticks. Nothing ever drops out. Nothing ever goes away. You just remember everything. What's wrong with you kind of people? I wish I could get around some of you to rub off. Other people, and I'm one of these when it comes to exam time, and instead of a steel trap, it's like a a bucket with holes in it. You know, the more you pour into it, the more it comes out the bottom. It just never gets filled. 
my head's that kind of bucket head. I, I just, it never gets quite, the more you put into it, the more falls out. It's like that RAM memory, you know, you don't hold so much RAM. If you're going to plug more into it, something else has got to give way. You got to delete some things. Some of you on your phones, you got so many pictures, you can't take any more. You got to delete some of them. You're just like, which ones do I get rid of? And that's the way some of us are when it comes to exam time. And, and you know, it's an important thing. Some teacher says, during a test, people look up for inspiration, look down for desperation, and look left to right for information. <laughs> I hope you wouldn't, those kind of... Isaac, I hope that's not you, brother. 90% of the exam is always based on the one lecture you missed and the one topic you didn't study for at test time, didn't prepare for. I like, always like those multiple choice questions, didn't you? You remember the multiple choice questions, the A, B, C, and D? You know, those are the kinds of things, and, and did your logic work this way? You get the multiple choice questions, and you get to that question about halfway through the test, and you're like, I have no idea, and I have no idea. So you start counting up, okay, I've had four A's, four D's, and four C's, this must be a B, because I've not had any B's yet. So I mark B. I don't know the answer to the question. I just put B in there, because surely the teacher's going to throw a B in here somewhere. Am I the only one? Uh, calf at a new gate here. Am I the only one that that's who it is? Um, someone said, don't let the silly exams get in the way of your big dreams. Save all the stress for the bigger things of life. Yeah. Right, tell that to a college student who's got 65 as a yearly average and it takes 70 to pass and tomorrow morning's the exam. Talking about stress, it's there. When we come to our text this morning, we have Jesus. He's been teaching, he's been training, he's been preparing his disciples. They have been with him now night and day for over Two, nearly two and a half years, every day with Jesus. Can you imagine walking along these roads with Jesus, eating with him, having meals, and, and everywhere they go, there's the Lord. They're hearing everything that he says. Uh, it's like living in a classroom experience, but real life, in, in, in living color. Uh, they're walking with Jesus, the classroom of Christ. These have been extraordinary days for these disciples. They have seen miracles. They've heard, heard extraordinary preaching and teaching. They have walked with the Master. They have seen our Lord handle all sorts of opposition that has come up against Him. They have seen the compassion of our Lord. The way He cared for people. They have witnessed the Lord's power. They have come to know and understand that Jesus loves people. That he loves people. That he loves the whole world, in fact. They've come to understand that Jesus loves them. And as they have walked with him, they've also come to this realization that they love him also. They love our Lord. Because they've seen it. Within him something that's 
that's like none other, like nobody else. Uh, this is Jesus. They have seen our Lord. They've heard him pray. Can you imagine the prayer times of our Lord? They've heard our Lord pray. They have noted the times when he would get away for an extended time of prayer with the Lord. Just literally times of fellowship with his heavenly Father. They have seen the holiness of Jesus. Not one time has Jesus uttered a a wrong word. Not one time has he uh, sinned. Not one time has he exhibited a wrong attitude along the way. Every time Jesus opens his mouth, they hear from him the words of life, the words of truth. Diseases were healed by him. Demons were cast out by him. Now for two and a half years, these disciples have been in the school of Jesus and Jesus has literally poured his life into these men. In our text, we've now come to the exam time. To the exam portion where Jesus, the master teacher, he asks his students just two questions to see what they've gotten, what they've learned and as they've been with the Lord this period of time. But what is it that you have learned? The first question they ask as Jesus, as he's walking along the way, is found in verse number 27. The, the last phrase out of verse number 27, who do men say that I am? The second question is out of verse number 29 at the very front. And he said to them, but whom say ye that I am? Just two questions that he asks. But understand, these are powerful questions from our Lord to his followers. Very powerful questions. They're powerful because they're probing questions. There are probing questions. Now, he asks the first one, Whom do men say that I am? Now, certainly Jesus is omniscient. In other words, he's all-knowing. Jesus didn't ask this question for his own information. He already knew. He already knew the answers to these questions. Um, He didn't ask questions. Nowhere in the Bible when we see Jesus asking questions. He didn't ask these questions so that he might gain knowledge or understanding in a particular matter. Jesus already knew. He's God. He knew full well. Several times in the Gospels it mentions that Jesus knew the very thoughts of people. Before they expressed them in words. He knew the very thoughts of people. And Jesus would oftentimes, in knowing their thoughts before they were expressed audibly, Jesus would respond to their thoughts. I understand you're thinking this way. Let me answer your questions. Let me help you out here. Many times that was the case. And we see in the Gospels. Jesus does not ask questions And he doesn't ask these questions so that he might know. But he asks the questions because he wants them to know. He's asking the questions to help them to know. He's prompting their thinking. He's probing their hearts. He wants these men to see and to know the truth. He is building Jesus Christ in This process, in asking these questions, he is literally building 
faith into these men. He's building a bond of faith and deepening of a dependence upon Christ by these men in such a way that they would never forget. For in the text we've read it and we won't get to it this morning. He does this and he's building this faith. He's, he's, he's pouring water, if you will, in this faith so that it might grow. Because in the days to come, things are going to get hard. In the days to come, things are going to get very difficult. On the human level, it may nearly seem impossible as you look forward and look into the text and see what Jesus is getting ready to face. Because Jesus begins talking about moving toward the cross. And he begins teaching them about the things of the cross. And he says out of verse number 31, he begins teaching them how the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected. The scribes and killed and after three days rise again. Now there are going to be some difficult days ahead. Some hardships like never before. Nothing that they've faced. And he knows that when these hardships come, these men are going to need a faith that's anchored. We sang the song just a little bit ago. Anchored in a rock. They're going to need a faith in the hardships of time that's anchored in a rock that will not move. And can I say that's the same thing for us? We need a faith that's anchored in something that holds us. And as the song mentioned, I don't know if you caught the words, but the song mentioned that we sang just a little bit ago, and I think it's interesting. Uh, Andrew and I never really, uh, we don't discuss the, the songs that sung during the morning service, but the Lord just seems to put all that t- thing together. And it talked about that rope or, or that cord, it was the, the anchor. You couldn't see the anchor, but you could sure feel the, the tug of the waves. And the anchor stood still. When those waves come against us and come into our lives, there's something that we need. And Jesus was building and he was producing a bond of faith, a deepening dependence in these men. And that's what Jesus wants to do for us. To build that faith in us and that that dependence that we must have in the storms of life. These men were going to need it. A faith That's tested and tried. They were going to need this. But a faith that even though it was tested and tried. It was a faith that remains true. That's what Christ wants for his disciples. That's what Christ wants for us. Who do men say that I am? That's the question he asked them. Who is Jesus? He asks of these men. It's a powerful question. It's a probing question. It's powerful because of its importance. Because of its importance. How one answers this question determines one's eternal destiny. It's so important. How one answers this question determines one's eternal destiny. Get it right. Get it right. And there's redemption. There's forgiveness of sins. There's heaven's reward. Acts 4 and 12, neither is there salvation in any other. For there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby ye must be saved. We'll look next week maybe at some of the musts of the Bible. You must be saved. Get it right and then there's forgiveness. Get it right and there's salvation. 
Who is this Jesus? But get it wrong. And there's destruction, devastation, damnation awaits in hell. John 3 and 18. But he that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Notice from verse number 28. How many and most of the people got the question wrong. Who do men say that I am? And we look at verse number 28 and they begin to respond to our Lord. And they say, they answered, the disciples answered. Who do men say that I am? Some people are saying, Lord, that you're John the Baptist. Some are saying, Lord, you're Elias. And others, one of the prophets. Some are saying you're John the Baptist. Remember back in Mark chapter number 6 when Herod the king... He had John the Baptist, who was preaching against his immoral lifestyle. He had him put into prison for preaching against his immorality. And eventually, John the Baptist is beheaded. You remember, I won't go back, but you remember the story. How there was a drunken party and the woman came out and seductively danced and He said, I'll give you up to half the kingdom, whatever you choose. He says, I want the head of John the Baptist on a charger. So they go out and have John the Baptist beheaded and they bring him in. Herod thought that after hearing Jesus and after hearing and discovering and knowing of all the miracles that were taking place, Herod thought that this is John the Baptist. He's come again from the dead. John the Baptist is risen from the dead. That's who he thought, and certainly many others thought the same things. They got it wrong. They got it wrong. Although there's miracles happening, and and someone comes from the dead, they still got it wrong. Some are saying, Lord, that you are Elias. In other words, Elijah. Uh, Elijah also, he is risen from the dead. And they would have gotten this from a... Verse of scripture in the Old Testament, Malachi chapter 4 and verse number 5. Behold I, will, behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. Uh, Elijah also performed miracles. Many miracles did Elijah do. Uh, but Elijah, they said, you're Elijah. Others said, you're one of the prophets. Uh, maybe Jeremiah or Isaiah. The prophets did miracles. They were not necessarily saying negative things about Jesus here. They were acknowledging his miracles. They were acknowledging that things were happening that they didn't understand. But in every case, they got it wrong. He's not John the Baptist. He's not Elijah. He's not another one of the prophets. You know, I think it's interesting that you have Herod... Living an immoral and godly lifestyle. And he gets it wrong. Uh, He's reckless. If you will. Uh, Many would expect Herod to get it wrong. Because of his pagan lifestyle. Uh, Many would have expected him on that exam question. to, To get it wrong. Because simply of who Herod was. He was reckless. But note the others. The others are saying. Elias or one of the prophets. These people weren't reckless. They were religious. These people got it wrong too. These were religious people. 
people who have read their Bibles. They were part of the synagogue. They were church-going people. Even moral people. Unlike Herod, these were fine, upstanding people in the community. They were religious, but noted, they got it wrong too. They got it wrong. To me, this just simply shows us that it, whether a man is reckless or religious, you can get it wrong. It doesn't matter if a man or a woman's religious or not. You have to have the right answer. Who is this Jesus? You've got to have the right answer. Religion says do a deed. Join a club. Say a catechism. A religion says look what I've done. See what I'm doing. Look where I'm a member. He's Elias. He's one of the prophets. These people were religious through and through. But please note they all got it wrong. They had the wrong answer to Jesus' question. You see, a person can be religious, but religiously wrong in the way that they know and understand Jesus Christ. Religious, but religiously wrong. The first question that Jesus asks is a powerful question. It's a probing question. And all failed up to this point. All have failed on that line where you put the answer. But then Jesus asks a second question. And that's what we want to get to this morning. He asks a second question. We see it out of verse number 29. And he said to them, but whom say ye that I am? Can't you just see Jesus as he's walking along? And he's asking, who do men say that I am? And they're dialoguing. Well, Lord, some say that you're John the Baptist, Elias, one of the prophets. And it, you can almost just see Jesus. He just stops. As they walk and he turns to them. He looks Peter, maybe John, James. He looks these men in the face. And maybe he just draws in a little closer. You ever do this? Maybe he just draws in a little closer and says, But who do you say that I am? Peter, who do you say that I am? John, who do you say that I am? James, who do you say that I am? Andrew, who do you say that I am? You see, it's an important question because it's a personal question. It's a personal question. Jesus really just brings this home to the individual, the personal individuality of the individual, of the person he's speaking to. But whom say ye that I am? All the others are saying this and are saying that. Some are believing one thing and some are believing another. Some are believing this teaching and some are believing that teaching. The all-important question is not so much what they are saying, what they are believing. The important question is personal to you, what say, whom say ye that I am? You see, the you is emphatic. It's you. And if Jesus were speaking to us today, he would literally, it would be as though he goes around this room and he looks to every single individual and he says, but who do you say that I am? 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 And every individual he asks that question, it's emphatic. Who do you say? We've heard all the other people, but who do you say that I am? Jesus, he lets them do 
if you will, a survey of all the opinions of the crowds as to what they think of Jesus, then it's as though as Jesus says, men, it, it's not the opinion of others that matters most. It's the truth that matters most. The truth that matters most. It matters not what they all say and believe. It only matters what you say and believe. And it only matters if what you say and believe gets it right according to the word of God. It only matters if what you believe and what you say as to who I am. If it corresponds with the teaching that's been received over these last number of years. And let me say today that it only matters... And there are people that have all kinds of opinions about who Jesus is. But it only matters about what you know to be true. And if what you know to be true corresponds with what this Bible says is true, then that's what matters. There's not a multiple choice answer to this question where some are half right and some maybe some right and maybe two of them are right or all the above are right. There's only one right answer here. Only one right answer. They had all gotten it wrong, but Jesus, now he comes to them and he says, who do you say that I am? It matters not what they believe, but it matters what you believe. The reckless and the religions, the religious people have all got it wrong. Then it's, though he, he literally says to them, Will you get it wrong too? Will you get it wrong too? Again, it's not multiple choice. It's not up for debate. It must be answered correctly in the exam. Better not follow the crowds, in other words. Don't follow the crowds because everybody else over there or or over that part or that denomination or that church group, don't follow them and listen to just what they say. You better make sure... That what they're saying matches up to what the Bible says. Let me read you a verse. Matthew chapter 7. Verses 13 and 14. And Jesus. Let me make sure I get the right verse. There it is. I'm starting to read the wrong words. Enter ye at the straight gate. For wide is the gate. And broad is the way. That leadeth to destruction. And many there be that go in thereat. Because straight is the gate. And narrow is the way. Which leadeth unto life. And few there be that find it. Beware of verse number 15. Beware of false prophets. Which come to you in sheep's clothing. But inwardly they are ravening wolves. Beware of the false prophets. There are a lot of people that are going the broad way because they're listening to what some man-made religion has told them. But the man-made religion doesn't match what Jesus says. Don't go the broad way. Few there be that find it. Not everybody's willing to let the Bible speak for itself. Brother Wingate in theology class would say, Boys, men, if plain sense makes common sense, all other sense is nonsense. Let the Bible say what it says. Don't take the Bible plus. It's not the Bible plus a man's opinion. It's not the Bible plus a tradition. It's the Bible only. 
That is the anchor of the soul. It's what Jesus says. It's not what some denomination has said. It's what Jesus has said. It's a probing question. It's a powerful question. It's a personal question. He asks this question of his disciples to probe their hearts. And he wants them to understand. Notice Peter's answer out of verse number 29. And he said unto them, Whom say ye that I am? And Peter answered. And Peter being the spokesman. And oftentimes you would see Peter as the spokesman of the twelve. And Peter answered and said to them, Thou art the Christ. Thou art the Christ. The Son of the living God. As Matthew's account gives it. The Christ. Not a Christ. There's a whole lot of people out there to say, All religions just get you to the same place. It doesn't really matter what you believe as long as you believe something. We're all going to end up there anyhow. The problem is, where's the there that they're going to end up? I'm not looking to end up there. I want to end up in heaven with Jesus Christ. And when Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, no man cometh to the Father but by me, that means he's exclusive. That means he puts a X mark on every other Answer that people would put on the page. He says this is the only one. It's the only way. Jesus is the only way. Thou art the Christ. Not a Christ. Not one of many. But the Christ. The only Christ. Peter gets it right. Peter gets it right. Christ. The word Christ. It's a Greek word that literally means the Messiah. It's for the Messiah. The Hebrew word means the anointed one. John the Baptist, he was baptizing there on the river Jordan. And people were coming out. And then one day as he's baptizing, he sees the crowd. And he looks off into the distance. And he sees Jesus coming. And he points his finger to our Lord. And he says, behold the Lamb of God. Cometh to take away the sins of the world. This is the one. He's not one of many. He's the only one. He's the Messiah. He's the anointed one. He is the Lamb of God. The right answer on the exam means more than simply you pass the grade. More than simply you pass the class. Your right answer will determine Where you spend eternity. Where you spend eternity. Life is full of questions. Some big. Some not so big. But Jesus the master teacher. He gives the final exam. Who do you say that I am? Can I just. Let me just say it this way. Jesus gives an exam to every single one of us. Life. Is a schooling. Life is a preparation. Life is a time of training. And then one day, there's going to come a time. Whom do you say that I am? And how we answer that question, how an individual answers that question will determine whether they spend eternity in heaven or in hell. I'm not asking you, do you seem as a religious man, as a good man? But is he he your Lord and Savior? He died on the cross so that every man, woman, boy, and girl might be born again in Christ. Every sin forgiven. 
have the promises of, and the hope of heaven. And by the way, the word hope does not mean I just hope it's going to happen. It's a guaranteed promise from the word of God. The answer to the question means everything. It's a powerful question. It's a probing question. It must be a personal question. You'll not go to heaven. No one will go to heaven on the coattails of somebody else. Just because your daddy and your mommy. Just because your brother or your sister. I don't care how many preachers you got in the family. It does not matter. All that matters is what you've done with Jesus. Has your name been written in the Lamb's book of life? That will be the question. On Wednesday nights we've been studying through the resurrections. We've gotten to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. What a wonderful, glorious study it is. One of the resurrections is found, the last resurrection is found. These are those of the dead. Revelation chapter number 20. Those who are dead will stand before Christ at a place called the great white throne judgment. And they'll give an account. The books will be opened. They'll give an account of their lives. And it won't be, did you do this? Or did you give there? Or were you kind here? Or would you, did you go there? Or were you a member here? The question will be, what did you do with Jesus Christ? He came to this earth to die for our sins. Did you accept Him as your personal Lord and Savior? Has there been a time in your life when you bowed the knee, realizing that you were a lost sinner, that you could not save yourself? Nothing you could do could save you, but Jesus could and Him alone. That you trusted Jesus Christ. You said, Lord, I know I'm a sinner. Lord, nothing I could do, my religion, my good works, nothing I could do will get me into your heaven. I'll need to be perfect. And Lord, I can't be perfect. But Lord, you are. Lord, as best I understand today, I accept you as my personal Lord and Savior. Lord, I confess my sins. And I turn from them. And I turn to you. And I turn from all dependence upon anything else. And I turn only to Jesus Christ and you and you alone to save me. Has there been the time in your life when you've turned from everything and only turned to Jesus? And only looked to Him? There's only one right answer to the exam. It's personal. What will you say? Peter answers. Peter's answer was not a regurgitation, if you will, of, of something that he had heard. He did not just spit back out. Uh, just sometimes we take a test. Forgive me, gentlemen, you've done this before. You take a test and you remember the information because you know you're going to have to put it on the piece of paper. But then you forgot it as soon as you put it down. He's not just parroting back something he's heard. Peter is making a profession, a confession of faith. Jesus Christ, you are the only one. And I'm putting my faith, my dependence, my trust wholly in you. Paul said, and at this verse I'm done. Paul said, I know whom I have believed. And am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. Are you persuaded in Jesus this morning? 
Are you born again? If not, can I ask you to trust Him as your personal Lord and Savior? You might be sitting here this morning and the Holy Spirit is prodding your heart. Just, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I'm really not sure if I die today, heaven's my home. But oh, I know I need it to be. Oh, I know I want it to be. Jesus is the only way. Will you, maybe for the first time this morning, simply as Peter said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God, and I accept you as my personal Lord and Savior. Or maybe as a Christian this morning, maybe as a Christian this morning, you come to this passage and you say, I'm born again. You know for sure I'm born again. But the question that rings in my heart, in my mind is, is He Lord? He's Savior, yes, but is He Lord? If I given Him everything, if I surrendered my life to Him, am I His and is He mine? Are we born again? Would you bow with me in a word of prayer, please?